Founded in 1963, this company creates some of the most easily recognizable supercars on the road. With their streamlined design, these cars are never not breathtaking in their looks, and the sounds that they produce is rivaled by few. This is the history of Lamborghini. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Autos and Donuts. If you're new to Autos and Donuts, welcome. I hope you enjoy and can learn something in today's episode, which is about the history of a company that even if you barely know anything about cars, you still know who Lamborghini is and the cars that they produce. This is something that I think any other high-end car company has, at least at the same level of recognition that Lamborghini has, which is extremely unique. I think that's safe to say that a lot of us had Lamborghini posters as a kid, whether it was a Mira, Gallardo, or Aventador like myself. And this is why they're so recognizable. They've marketed themselves to people of all ages to create dreamers amongst all ages to own one and for the people that do to be very recognizable at what they have achieved in life. This is some of the unique marketing behind Lamborghini that they have been doing for many years. So with this, let's get into the history of Lamborghini. As I stated earlier, Lamborghini was founded in 1963 by Ferruccio Lamborghini, a powerful and wealthy man born on April 28, 1916. He created a fortune from multiple businesses that he owned, including a tra tractor manufacturer. It's kind of been a popular thing to talk about as Lamborghini once made tractors. It is said that he acquired his wealth at the perfect time, which was right after World War II, which allowed him to create Automobili Lamborghini, as he wanted to create a car that rivaled Ferrari after having mechanical issues with his own Ferrari that he owned, even hiring one of Ferrari's former top engineers to start building Lamborghinis. Like other people who wanted to create such high-end cars like Horatio Pagani, not many people believed in him that he could do it. In 1962, he began funding the project, and by 1963 in May, Automobili Ferruccio Lamborghini was created in Italy. With the fortune he had amassed from his other businesses, he was able to build a state-of-the-art facility as he wanted it to be perfect. A factory was placed next to the offices so that the workers and management could quickly communicate any information or even jump in and help build the car, including Lamborghini himself helping build some of the cars. For Lamborghini's first car, he only had months to create the first model from when the factory was finished and when the company was set to debut. Thankfully, Lamborghini already knew what he wanted to do with this first car, and one of those things was having a V12 engine. Some history for you, the V12 engine was actually used quite a bit in luxury cars that were not only Italian-based such as Cadillac and Lincoln, 
but after World War II, it became mostly only used in Italian cars as American cars tend to use the V8 more often. So in 1963, the 350 GTV was born, which was the prototype to the first Lamborghini produced starting in 1964 with the 350 GT. The 350 GT was powered by a 3.5 liter V12 and 120 units were made in a two-seater coupe model. There were even some spider models made named, at, named the 350 GTS. If you have not seen one, I think the 350 GT resembles like a 1960 Corvette, but a little bit more sleek and elongated and more smoother in certain areas. After the 350 GT came the 400 GT. The 400 GT's V12's engine was bumped up to a 4 liter, and Lamborghini made their first and very own gearbox to go along with it. The 400 GT was also a two-seater coupe, but was later made into a four-seater called the 400 GT 2 plus 2. The 400 GT had 273 units made in its lifetime. Between October 1965 and June of 1966, Lamborghini came out with many more models that were prototypes of a sort. These models included the 3500 GTZ, 350 Spider, and the Monza 400. These cars were all based off of their respective number cars and modified but never put into production to supercar number standards anyways. After these prototypes, Lamborghini needed another production car. Lamborghini asked two young engineers to task with creating a new model. These engineers were named Gian Paolo and Dallara and Paolo Stanzani. Now, if you're saying to yourself, wait, Dallara? You know, like in Dallara Motors? You would be correct. Dallara is the founder and president of Dallara, as you might have suspected. So it was pretty cool to see workers of Lamborghini go on afterwards to start up other companies, such as Dallara with Dallara and Horatio Pagani creating Pagani. When creating the new project, Dallara and Stanzani wanted to, wanted to, and I quote, put a barely tame version of a full-fledged race car on the road. Their original idea was codenamed the 400TP, using a 4-liter V12 that this time was placed behind the driver, unlike the 350 and 400 GT. According to Lamborghini, Ferruccio immediately approved of the project and was a huge shock to those two engineers since it was such a radical design compared to the first two GT cars. Ferruccio thought that the car would be great for advertising, yet the car ended up not selling over 50 models worldwide. The car was displayed at the Turin Auto Show in 1965 where Ferruccio met a man named Nuccio Bertone. Bertone was an accomplished coach builder and an expert on car engine and design. When seeing the car, he believed that it could be something great and walked up to Ferruccio and said, I'm the one that can make the shoe to fit your foot. And with that quote, the two agreed to work together on the project to make it the best the car could be. And that car became extremely well known as the Lamborghini Mira. With his help, the Mira, named after Mira Bulls, who are known for f strength and intelligence, became the most popular car of its time. 
It was presented at the 1966 Geneva Auto Motor Show, and as you could say, it took over the show. It was said to have become the most stunning road car in the world and turned out to be the fastest in the world at its time. A year later in 1976, and all three cars are still available for purchase, with a 350 GT about to end production. All three of their cars have done extremely well, so it was time to take the enthusiasm and high morale that the customers and workers had to use it to create some new models. With the Mira being the newest car and being a sporty two-seater coupe, it was time to revisit the GT cars and thus the Islero was born. A 2 plus 2 coupe that was the successor to 400 GT. It turns out though that the Mira had such a profound impact on both body style and power that people expected something a bit more flashy to say the least. And so it didn't do the best in sales with a production number of only 225 units. In 1968, the Lamborghini Espada was born, an entirely new car that wasn't based off of any previous models, and was also unveiled at the Geneva Auto Motor Show. This was another two-door, four-seater car with a V12 in the front, ready to haul the family and cargo anywhere, and do it fast, being called a luxurious car for grand tours. This ended up becoming Lamborghini's best-selling car for a decade, with 1,227 units being made. Throughout the years, Lamborghini's cars would get updates such as the Mira SV, as well as in 1970, the Lamborghini Uraco was born and put into production in 1972. Uraco was another two-door, four-seater, but this time it only had a V8. The Lamborghini Islero also saw an update called the Lamborghini Jarama, which became one of Ferruccio's favorite cars. In 1972, labor unions were causing an uproar and causing lots of problems in factories, especially engineering companies. To help save the company, Ferruccio sold a large portion of the company to George Henry Rossetti. Sadly, the financial problems did not get any better, and Ferruccio ended up selling the rest of his company to a friend named Rene Limer. After many years of growing up this huge and magnificent company, making some of the most beautiful cars in the world. In less than two years, Ferruccio had left his company. After leaving his own company, Ferruccio retired and was said to have lived a peaceful life, going back to his farming beginnings and pursuing other business interests, such as producing wine from the grapes he farmed. In 1993, Ferruccio sadly passed away and left behind one of the best automobile companies in the world one that was created on passion and pushing the boundaries of what was to be created. After the Uraco and the Jarama came a very special car in the year of 1974, a car powered by a 4-liter V12 produced from 74 to 78 and only 151 units being made. The Countach took over the spotlight, also known as the LP400. In 1976, another new car was unveiled. The Lamborghini Silhouette, packing a 3-liter V8 with an aggressive body style and removable roof panel. By 1979, only the S model of the Countach was still in production. With financial issues and only one model that was sought after, things were not looking good for Lamborghini. In 1980, the company was put up for liquidation. Thankfully, from the company's rich history, creating such sought-after cars such as the Mira and Countach, there was plenty of interest from people wanting to save the company. 
Thankfully, two brothers took over and completely changed things around. One of the very first changes was made to hire Julio Alfieri. With the new changes to the company, the first new production car was named the Jalpa. This car was a successor to the Silhouette and would be, and would be the last car Lamborghini produced with the V8. Along this came the LM002, an off-road vehicle packed with a V12 and went into production in 1986, as well as the Countach Quattro Valvole, a faster Countach with a beefed-up V12 pushing 455 horsepower, which made it way ahead of the competition. Of the Countach Quattro Valvole, there were 631 units made. Now, if you're wondering, wait, you missed talking about this part or that part of history. Well, some of it, in my opinion, is better suited to go along with the vehicle, such as the long history of the Lamborghini LM, where I'll be able to go into it more in depth. So check back someday for more information on that vehicle when I do more of a specific creation of that vehicle. Back to the story. Around 1987-88, the Countach was set up once again to become even faster. Lamborghini started working with composite materials. In this case, it was carbon fiber. Now, if you remember from the History of Pagani episode, Horatio Pagani himself was the lead of this project and was the one who pushed to use carbon fiber. Using carbon fiber for the body and other pieces of the Countach, the car ended up losing nearly 1,000 pounds, which is a ton even for today's standards. With an even more powerful V12, than the Countach Quattro Valvole, the Countach Evolution was set to become an absolute beast of a supercar, but it cost them so much to create the carbon fiber body that the car never went into full production. The Countach did get a 25th anniversary edition, but by now it was time to introduce its successor. In 1990, the successor to the Countach was introduced. Once again, powered by a V12 with a 5.7 liter, producing 492 horsepower, the Diablo was unveiled. The Diablo was produced from 1990 to 2001, and over 3,000 units were produced and sold during this time across the world. The Diablo sold extremely well, as shown by the amount of units sold. The Diablo was also offered in many different models compared to most of their previous cars. These include the VT, SV, and SVR. The Diablo was the first Lamborghini I ever actually saw in person. I was working across the street and saw this bright yellow car, which was drawing quite a bit of attention. Now, where I was working in my county in Ohio, which is the poorest county in the state, so pretty backwoods and whatnot, luxury to us is like a King Ranch Edition F-150 because people don't have that much money and farmland is the big thing around here. So a nice jacked up truck was a lot better looking than a Cadillac for most people. So to see a Lamborghini all of a sudden show up at a Dairy Queen in the poorest county in Ohio was absolutely out of this world. And not only was this a normal Diablo, this was also a Diablo SV. So that was just icing on the cake at this point. And that still is the most expensive car that I've ever seen while back home in my hometown county. So... After the Diablo came a powerful duo, as I like to say. These two cars weren't released at the same time, but they were always paired together like father like son. First came the Murcielago in 2001, which was the successor to the Diablo. Like nearly every Lamborghini, 
It was named after a famous and fierce fighting bull, which this name also translates to bat. Like every new model, they had to pump up the horsepower numbers, which this one came equipped with 580 horsepower, which still holds as a lot of horsepower compared to today's standards. The Mercia Lago was selling so well that Lamborghini did not have to worry at all about selling them, as every single one was always sold in advance. In 1998, Lamborghini was bought by Audi, which was a subsidiary of Volkswagen, for $110 million, which in today's money is around $174 million. In 2003, the brother to the Mercia Lago was born, the Gallardo this time with a V10 producing 500 horsepower and a permanent four-wheel drive. Lamborghini said that when they made this car to be driven more often, yet when you want to race, you're more than ready to go. When creating the Gallardo Spider in 2006, Lamborghini wanted to make the car unique in the way that differs from other Spider cars and the Coupe Gallardo, so much so that it could be nearly a standalone model, which I found pretty unique because you can always tell, you know, oh, it, all it is is a convertible, so, which you can still tell it's a Gallardo, but a lot of the designs are different than most Spider to Coupe models. In 2007 came the Lamborghini Reventon. Only 20 units of this car were built for consumers, with one at the museum. Most cars that they do make a certain number of cars for the public and then keep one for themselves to put in their museum with these few off cars. This car, like many other few off cars, is powered by a V12 and a top speed of over 200 miles per hour. In 2009, the Reventon got a Roadster counterpart in which only 15 were made. In 2010, we got a very special car, the Sesto Elemento. This is a very limited car with only 20 units being made and was specifically made for the track. The Sesto Elemento uses a V10 engine with a 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds to, due to its extremely lightweight carbon fiber body at a mere 2,202 pounds. In 2011, we were given the new successor to the Murcielago, the Aventador LP704, the newest member of the V12 family car that not only was created to be the successor, but the goal was to set a new standard of what supercars are. Lamborghini cars are also named, for example, the LP700-4, but what does this mean? Well, the LP stands for Longitudinal Posterior, which is the mid-rear engine placement, and the 700 would be the horsepower, and the 4 is for four-wheel drive. In 2013, we were given not just one, but two new Lamborghini models, which both were unveiled at the 2013 Geneva Auto Motor Show, and were for the 50th anniversary of Lamborghini. The first car is the Lamborghini Egoista, which was a single model car that Lamborghini made purely for themselves. They said it was a gift from Lamborghini to Lamborghini, and it'll always remain a dream for everyone because they're only making one and they're never going to sell it. They're going to keep it for themselves. Something really interesting. The second car we received was the most expensive Lamborghini to have ever been sold. With a starting price of $4 million, this V12-powered car was made to 
commemorate Lamborghini's 50th anniversary with a top speed of 221 miles per hour. This was the Lamborghini Venano. Of the Venano, there were only 13 produced in total, four coupes and nine roadsters. Three of the coupes were painted in the Italian flag colors, white, green, and red, and the last one was painted gray and is at the Lamborghini Museum, where it will stay. In 2014 came the successor to the Gallardo, and for me personally, it was a very welcome one, as the new Lamborghini Huracan has become one of my favorite cars. The Lamborghini Huracan is powered by a V10, producing 610 horsepower, with a top speed of 202 miles per hour. This stunning new look keeps true to the sleek looks of Lamborghini and looks intimidating like always. In 2016 came the Lamborghini Centenario. It was produced to commemorate the 100th birthday of its founder, Ferruccio Lamborghini. Packed with a V12, this car does 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds and a top speed of 217 miles per hour. Only 14 models of this car were produced, with 20 of them being coupes and 20 being roadsters. In 2017 came one of the most talked about Lamborghinis in my opinion, the Lamborghini Urus, an SUV. Unveiled in 2017 and beginning production in 2018, unlike nearly all Lamborghinis produced nowadays, the Urus is not powered by a V10 or a V12, instead is produced with a twin-turbo V8 with a top speed of 190 miles per hour. In 2018 came the Lamborghini Terzo Mileno, an electric concept car that is absolutely out of this world. It has an extremely unique look and aggressive design, and is supposed to show off what electric supercars could look like in the future. In 2019 came the Lamborghini Sion, the first supercapacitor-based hybrid V12, an electric hybrid V12 car. This car has 819 horsepower, which puts it from 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds, an electronic top speed of 217 miles per hour. Only 63 of these are going to be produced to honor the year Lamborghini was founded, which was 1963. Each of these cars sold for $3.6 million and are already sold and accounted for. As you can tell if you see pictures, this car takes a lot of design choices from the Terzo Mileno. In 2019 also came the Lamborghini V12 Vision Gran Turismo, an absolutely out-of-this-world concept car that is made to be in video games, specifically Gran Turismo Sport on PlayStation 4. They have created a physical model, so... Will we ever see this car on the road and maybe a small number produced? I'm not sure, but I sure hope we do as this car is absolutely amazing to see. If you have Instagram, there's a video posted on Lamborghini's page on January 30th of 2020 that shows each of the different pieces and sections of the car. And This is a video I really recommend anyone to watch. As it's really cool to kind of see all these different pieces and parts of the car being put together. So what's in store for 2020? Who knows, maybe the new successor to the Aventador? Rumors are that it won't be coming till 2024 as it keeps getting pushed back, so it'll be interesting to see when the Aventador finally gets a successor. It's been the flagship V12 model for almost 10 years. So what are some things you're looking forward to from Lamborghini? 
They've been producing some new cars almost every year, whether it's a new trim, concept model, or a few off model. Lamborghini has become one of the most recognizable supercars, if not the most recognizable. I've always enjoyed their cars, and with the Huracan Performante being one of my top five dream cars. Sure, it would be nice to have a Venano, but I like to keep my dream car list of cars I could possibly someday afford if I work really hard. So what is your favorite Lamborghini of all time? What are some cool stories that you have with Lamborghini? If you want to share, let me know through email or through social media. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new, as I always do whenever I'm doing research. So thank you so much for listening, and if you enjoyed the content, please be sure to share it with your friends wherever and however. Thank you for listening, and as always, safe travels, everyone.